And at this point, we are going to continue our Nope, Not in the Bible series. And Chad Thompson, one of our elders, is going to be taking the sermon this morning. Make him welcome today. Good morning. I told Pastor Matt that I expected a bigger intro than that. So hopefully we can work on that in the future. Uh, All right. So we have endeavored so far one month in, and we're kind of halfway into this summer series of, nope. Not in the Bible. And as it, it, that, that title does come off a little sarcastic. And please understand that our desire isn't to be funny, um, maybe to catch your eye and, and attention a little bit, um, but rather it's just to continue to um, engage in some of the fallacies that we're hearing spread throughout the church overall, not, not, not specifically talking about this one, and also to redirect or to continue to direct our family here into God's word to see what, what, what it says. And so um, we've covered some, some fun topics and we've got some other ones uh, coming uh, up uh, in the weeks ahead. This morning, our, the title is or the, the, the statement that we're going to engage in and look at is, is called, or it's, it's uh, probably you've heard it, we're all God's children, Right? And I was told that the feedback would go away, so that's playing a little with my head right now. Um, and so I want, to, uh, I, I want to dive into this statement, and I, I want to just make some simple remarks about it. Because they say that a lie has enough truth in it to make it palatable. To make it, to make it okay, that, that sounds good on the outside. And a lot of the statements that, that we've, we've uh, looked at and are going to look at, they sound good... However, they may say something that might be completely contradictory to God's word. So this morning, we're going to try to untangle this knot of dissecting out what the truths of these statements are while looking at them from a biblical perspective. And so my, my outline is really very simple. I want to, one, talk about the truth of this statement. Are there any truths? I want to talk about the danger of this statement and then I would like us to sit back and just do a quick biblical, uh, gain a bi- biblical perspective of this statement. So, jumping right into point number one. What is the truth of the statement that we are all part of God's family or we are all God's children? Well, I, I think there are some underlying truths and that's why it's propagated. And, that, and that's why we continue to, to, to hear it spread about. For one, I think that there is an understanding at least that there is a creator. And I think it's born out of a perspective that God is real, that God is the creator, that God created the first man and first woman, and that we are all descendants of that first man and first woman. And so I think there's, there is some, an undergirding, an underbelly of truth within that, that it's coming from a hope a a good perspective that there is a God that he created us and that that we all belong to him let's jump right into point number two or section number two what's the danger of this of this statement well I think the danger begins when we start adding our own logic to it the Bible does present God as creator the Bible does present that God did create the first man and first woman. 
and that all humans are descendants of that. But I think our logic takes it a little too far. And, and I think this is how the logic goes. Since God created mankind, then we all ultimately belong to him. And if we belong to him, as he is our creator, and he refers to himself in the Bible as a father, that we are all part of his family. And everybody knows that good fathers want the best for their children. And that good fathers, well, they're good because they love well. And love always wants the best for somebody. And really, love makes me feel good. So therefore, I am his child, and I am special to him. I think that's the way that the logic flows. And so what we normally do, just with any argument, is we then try to buffet it. We try to build it up, prop it up, build a strong foundation using Bible verses. And so we'll pull out of context many times some verses that, that sound good but may not necessarily fit. So, for example, if I was to make this argument that we are all God's children, I would, I would start off in, in Genesis talking about creation and talking about the first man and first woman. Then I would probably jump to verses like, well, God is love, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And then I, I'm sure we've all heard the verse that goes something like this. I know the plans that I have for you says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a real verse. It's Jeremiah 29, 11. And then we've all heard, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, John three sixteen. So, so we have this, this idea that's born out of a truth, and then I think we start taking it into what we perceive as the next logical progression. Then folks start adding verses out, out of context, and then we start hearing pastors, Christian authors and bloggers, even Christian songs that say that, oh, let, me quote, let me quote from some authors here. Um, we are all, every single person on earth, regardless of what, what they believe, children of God. And as children of God, we are overcomers and more than conquerors. And God intends for each of us to experience the abundant life he has in store for us. So in other words, this author is, is saying that he wants our best life now. For those that are tracking at home, those are actually two different authors that I was quoting from. Or you hear a Christian song on the radio with a lyric like this. We are all sons and daughters. Help each other. All my sisters walk together. No one is a stranger. We're all sons and daughters. And then maybe some of you came to Christ a little bit later and you remember that, that blockbuster 80s pop song that took the world by storm. And its lyrics go like this. We're all part of God's great big family, and the truth you know, love is all we need. We are the world, we are the children. Hmm, yeah, Matt, Matt is loving it up here. He's, he's, so those 80s and 90s kids are like, yeah, I remember that one, that was huge. And we all had to fork out money at Christmas time because of that song. So, staying on the musical theme, we don't have to look beyond the European national anthem. 
Yes, yes, Europe has a national anthem. It's actually the poem of Ode to Joy set to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the fourth movement, fourth and final movement for those that want to know. And the final stanza uh, goes like this. Be embraced, millions, this kiss to all the world. Brothers above the starry canopy, there must dwell a loving father. Are you collapsing, millions? Do you send the creator world? Seek him above the starry canopy. Above stars must he dwell. See, the danger is in this statement, the statement again, we're all part of God's family, is that this is not what the Bible teaches. We're going to get pretty deep here quickly, but the concept isn't hard. And we're going to draw a big line in the sand this morning. Not out of arrogance. Please understand, this is not out of arrogance. It's birthed out of a desire for us to rightly define where we are in relation to God. Okay? So the, the danger of this statement is that it's not what God, or it's not what God's word says. In fact, the verses quoted earlier, they're actually verses. I use them. for uh, God is love, and, and, and I know the plans that I have for you. And for God so loved the world. But did you notice what I did with John 3.16? I didn't quote the entire verse. I stopped at where God sent his only begotten son or his only son. I left it off. And that's what happens when I start putting my own logic and try to make something of God's word that it doesn't say. I will often take things out of context or I'll truncate it. I'll, I'll clip it where I see fit and where it fits my argument. Okay, so then let's look at this statement from a biblical, biblical perspective, and actually, let's just dive into God's word. We're gonna take a quick tour, I promise it's quick. In the Old Testament, children of God is not often used, and depending upon the translation that you're using, it may not even be in there. For example, uh, I believe my, I looked it up and, and did some study of the ESV, children of God, is not found in the, in the Old Testament. ESV is the, the, the version that we use here. So the closest like simile would be sons of God. And sons of God is used very, in a very limited uh, number of places, and it refers to a direct creation by God the Father. So if you went and actually looked up sons of God in the ESV or even King James, it refers to two groups. One, angels. For angels are a direct creation of God. Matt's smiling. He's getting nervous up here because he, he knows where I could go. All right? In, in the Old Testament, sons of God are only referred to angels, but angels don't procreate to reproduce each other. We learn that from Jesus' statements in Matthew, where he said, hey, in the resurrection, men and women are, are neither given in marriage, or they don't marry or, or nor are given in marriage, for they are like the angels in heaven. Angels don't procreate to produce a, a, a different kind. In the Old Testament, sons of God refers to angels in, 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 in only a couple places. Genesis chapter 6 Job chapter 1, Job chapter 2, and Job chapter 38. Again, sons of God uh, is referring to a direct creation of God. And again, angels don't procreate except for those in Genesis chapter 6 that got themselves into a little bit, a little bit of trouble. And you guys are all like, what? And you're flipping back to Genesis chapter 6. Do, you do that on the side. 
sons of God is also utilized or used of the nation of Israel, specifically in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 1 and 32, verse 8. Outside of those examples, sons of God is not represented or not utilized in, in the Old Testament. However, things change, change drastically when we get to the New Testament, for it's used often. And we're going to see this morning that there's going to be a nice line drawn in the sand between those that are the children of God and those that are not the children of God. So, if you have your Bibles, please open with me to John chapter 3, verse 16. And we're going to read the entire verse and probably a couple of verses after that. We quoted this one earlier. I told you I cut it off. I clipped it because it sounded good. It went along with the logic that I was, that I was uh, utilizing there. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Who's doing the loving here? God the Father. That he loved the world, the entire world. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Ooh, we already have some groups crawling out of this here, don't we? We have those that are perishing and those that are not perishing. Let's, let's go on to 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in verse 17, we have a contrast here between condemnation and salvation. Verse 18 Whoso or whosoever or whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the, of the only Son of God. There it is. In verse 18, the Spirit through John is already contrasting between those who believe and those who do not believe. This is not where Chad is breathing something into these verses that isn't there. This is just taking it at point blank of what these verses say. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Do you hear that group? It takes belief to be in the not condemned group. What does it take to belong in the condemned group? But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We've talked about belief here a lot. I know we haven't. Pastor Matt has used uh, examples. In fact, he loves pointing out to the example of him walking through the front door and his kids being like mid-flight, knowing that dad is going to catch him. And we've talked and we've defined this belief as, it's not just uh, an academic belief of, mm, oh, of course, yes, two plus two is four, or, um, you know, yes, Chad is the best looking guy in this congregation. <laughs> it's, it's not that type of belief. It's this all-in type of belief, all right? I may believe that I'm the best-looking guy in this congregation, and I may be all in, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, it's going to be hard to find followers with that, that go along with that. The belief that we're talking about is an all-in type of belief. It's a belief that 
because it's so deep and I hold it so true, it has action to it. Things change because of this belief, okay? Doomsdayers, preppers, they ultimately believe that the world is coming to an end. They're taking action. They're all in. They're doing whatever it takes to prepare for that. That's the type of belief we're talking about here, okay? And this is where things get uncomfortable, and I think this is why statements like, we're all part of God's family, or we're all God's children, get propagated. They get uh, repeated and continued. Because we don't like to talk about eternal punishment. We don't like to talk about God's judgment. We don't like to talk about the condemnation of those who do not believe in God's son. It's not popular. It's not fun. People usually don't come back for a second conversation when we bring this up at parties. And again, I think that's what's why this statement is being uh, repeated here. From the verses that we just looked at, 316 to 318, what is necessary to have eternal life? Go back to 316, make it easy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Belief in the son, in God's son, the only son of God, is necessary for salvation. Jump down to 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son. The line in the sand is pretty distinct. So, let's see if Chad was just pulling this out of John 3 only. Turn with me to uh, a couple pages to the left just to John chapter 1, not far. Your fingers won't get tired. We're going to be in John chapter 1. And we're going to begin in verse 11, because John has more to say about this. John chapter 1, verse 11. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He, the Spirit, again, through John, is speaking about Jesus Christ. He came into his own, his own creation, the material world that we live in, that we exist in right now. He came into his own, and to his own people, namely the nation of Israel, and they did not receive him. So chapter 11 is talking about the rejection of Jesus Christ. They didn't receive him or his doctrine, namely what he said about who he is. He claimed to be God, sent from the Father, stepping into his own creation as a man. That's what his claims were, Israel as a, as a nation, outright rejected it. And there were ramifications for that. That's verse 11. Verse 12 says, but, oh, this is a big but, a big one, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise the Lord that this wasn't universal. This rejection that we read about in verse 11 wasn't everybody. There were some that accepted him. There were some that went against the flow. There were some that broke apart from the majority and received him. But what does receiving mean? Verse 12 again. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
Okay, back to that belief that we talked about in John 3.16. It's not a, just a belief of, okay, yes, I think it's going to rain today, or I think, you know, da, 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 you know the, the economy is going to pick up. Nothing like that. It's an all-in type of belief that says, I'm planting my stake here. Come, come whatever it may. Receiving him means to believe in his name. What does it mean to believe in his name? To believe in one's name, specifically the name of Jesus, it means that I'm not, well, I guess, let's start with the negative. It doesn't mean that I just understand, okay, this is Jesus. That, that's who this is. I, I believe that he was a historical figure and all that. It actually refers to everything about him. It, it says that I receive him, I believe in what he claimed to be and also what he did. The words that he spoke, I'm all in with. I am associating myself with him. The name is more than a label. It refers to the totality of Christ being all that he is and all that he does. To those who received him, to those that displayed that faith, the word gave a special right, a special privilege. Let's go on into verse 13. It says in verse, at the end of verse 12, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. At the end of 12 is huge. To those that broke apart from the majority of the people, that saw Jesus Christ as who he claimed to be, God sent down to earth by the Father, born of a virgin, lived a sinless, holy, perfect life, then went to a cross to be executed, not because of himself. We read it during our Daniel, uh, Daniel series in Daniel chapter 9. He was cut off, but not for himself. He stood in my place to take the punishment of my sin that I deserve. He stepped into that, and then he rose again the third day, triumphantly proving that he is who he claims to be. To those people, to those people that received him in that way, God gave the right, the authorization, the privilege to become the children of God. Lying in the sand, to be part of God's family means that I must receive him for who he is and who he claims to be. If you have done that along with me, then God has given us the privilege, the right, the authority to be in his family. It is an act of God. And that's what verse 13 is saying. It's not an act of man. It's not an act of the flesh. Read it again. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And it goes something like this. Belief in who Jesus is is a personal belief. I cannot believe for someone else. As much as we parents would love to believe for our children, it doesn't happen that way. And then he says, this didn't happen by blood, not of blood, 
nor of the will of, of man, or the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Another way of saying it is, two Christians getting married, naturally procreating, does not produce another Christian. I'm sorry to burst that bubble. And, and we could fill in a lot of things of what it doesn't say. It doesn't say going to VBS makes a Christian. It doesn't say going to Sunday school. It doesn't say being, uh, being at Newtown Road Church uh, every day that the, the lights are on and people are here makes you a Christian. No, 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 no. We've, we've already laid the foundation there in John 3, 16 and here. It is receiving him and believing in his name. To those that have done that, God has granted the privilege, the honor, the authority, the right to become a children of his. And it's nothing that we can produce. It says at the end of verse 13, but of God. Belief in the name of Jesus Christ, birth into his family, is not something that humans can produce. Only God can. It's very simple conceptually, but there are major ramifications for that. It is a supernatural birth. It is a supernatural birth that is a gift of God. So then this means that people are not naturally children of God. Again, being born into the family of God is not like the way that we were born into our own humanly families, human families. At, at one time, a mom and a dad had a lot of love together. We have, we have some younger children here, so we had a lot of love. And the love spilled over and, and created children. That's, I told you last week I was over in Newtown Kids. If you guys didn't get any questions about David and Bathsheba, we're going to kind of keep it at that level this morning. <laughs> All right? So, the new birth is finally nothing other than an act of God. It says here at the end of verse 13. Ephesians 2.8 says the same thing. And we've quoted it many, many times. For by grace are you saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Okay, some of us are going like, uh, Chad, okay, that's great. We're not, that that uh, I, I, I'm in the family. Uh, so what? It's not the real so what. It's just the so what. All right. Turn with me, please, because John, again, I'm going to just stay in the words of John. Turn to 1 John chapter, five, uh, chapter 3. John is writing this book. Uh, his, or this letter to believers. And he gives three different reasons. As you're flipping there, I'm just going to go through this. He gives three different reasons why he writes this book or this letter inside the letter itself. Number one is that the believer's joy may be complete. Chapter 1, verse 4. He also writes it so that believers will not sin. In chapter 2, verse 1. And the third reason that he says that he wrote this letter is that believers might know that they, that we, know that we have eternal life. John expounds upon what it means to be part of God's family in chapter 3, verse 1. Let's read it. It says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. Stop there. I really don't like the ESV the uh, translation of this, just because I grew up with the authorized or the King James Version. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, 
that we might be called the sons of God. And I can just picture John sitting back and he's meditating. He's thinking about what has actually supernaturally occurred in his own life that he is now considered or called, given the right and the privilege to become a child of God, a direct creation by God using Old Testament language. He says, behold, what manner of love or see what kind of love. Other translations might say, how great or what glorious, measureless love. And, and, and just from some study on this, originally the adjective, it meant of, of what country is this love? Meaning it's foreign to us. It's so expansive. It's so huge and so great that it can't originate with man. It has to come from outside of man. It's foreign to us. From what country does this love come? Is really what it says. Meaning, it's not human. It goes along with what we just read in chapter, John chapter 1, verse, verses uh, uh, 11 through 13. It comes from God. It's supernatural. And, it, and we need, those of us that are in the family, we need to understand how great the Father's love was that he held nothing back, yet he sent his son on a death mission. That baby that was born in the garage on the backside of Bethlehem was wrapped in grave clothes, forecasting, prophesying, giving us an insight as to why he came. So this is a special love for those who believe in the name of Jesus. In his love, though, God has called us his children. And John even throws himself in here. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. John's one of those. He's not above us. He's part of us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The apostles' feet are firmly planted in who God is and his right relationship with God because of that belief, that all-in type of belief that says, Dad's coming home. I'm jumping. I'm all in. I'm holding nothing back. Chad, is that what it takes? If you haven't gone all in, you haven't received him. Hey, folks, the greatest love I can give you this morning is to define on what side of the line you were at. Or I actually just define what the line is. The greatest love says you're headed for danger. You haven't received the son. You're in that group that is headed towards condemnation. Receive him. Receive him is our plea. Receive him is, please hear the plea of your pastors, your elders, your brothers and sisters here. Receive him. Believe in his name, who he is, what he has done, and who he claims to be. Again, this is a special love. It's a special privilege. God's love, according to John 3.16, is available to all. It's available to all, but the reality is not everyone will call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, true brothers and sisters, we should not fear that. It should grieve us to the core. But we should not fear that. So what? And this is the big so what. And you guys are like, hey, Chad, what's going on? I know it's summertime, but come on. We usually have another half hour to go when you're up here. So what? Well, 
Surprise, surprise, not all are God's children. This, is, this statement is propagated so that people don't have to face the truth that not everyone will go to heaven. Not everyone will be with God for eternity. On the backside of that, though, it's a personal choice that you are responsible for yourself in, and you will be held accountable for the way that you choose, just as Pharaoh was held accountable back in, in Egypt. The Holy Spirit through John recaps this beautifully for us. Please turn just a couple more pages over to the right. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's not just blind, I hope I'm in, guys. I, I hope my good outweighs my bad. No, 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 no. John's writing here and he says, I'm writing this that you may know that you have eternal life and that knowledge should have ramifications in your daily life. Salvation comes to the sinner through receiving Jesus Christ. I've said it over and over this morning. The birth of the child of God is not a natural act. It is a supernatural act. A person welcomes Jesus and responds in faith and obedience to him. And because the father loved us and sent his son to die for us, we can become children of God. God does love us. God does love us. All we have to do is point to the cross. He sent his son on that mission. He sent his son to take our place. And oh, the privilege. Oh, the privilege that he offers out as better than any Christmas gift ever. He offers that gift and says, it's free for you to take. So, that's it. We've defined the line of, who is in the, or of what the family is. For those of you that are, I, I, I want to nicely challenge you. Does your life show, do your actions show that you're part of the family? If you're in the Thompson family, you've got some quirks. You've got many quirks. And probably those quirks are going to, you're going to step back and go, that kid's a Thompson. My son, Cole, is more my father's son than I am. He is more Thompson through and through. It scares us when we get together with family because people that he has never met before, he's mimicking or, or behaving just like them. It's in the Thompson DNA. I won't go through all the quirks. We got plenty of them. But you can step back and go, there ain't something wrong with that kid, with him. He's a Thompson. Okay, all right, makes sense. Are people, are people able to look back at you and say, there's something different with you? something wrong with you, Filio. He's a Christian. He's behaving like his father. For those that have not received Jesus Christ, who have not believed in his name, the totality of who he is, what he said, and what he did, there are ramifications for that as well. I'm not going to have an altar call or anything like that, but I'm going to challenge you to take seriously the word of God. That's what this series is all about, for us to direct ourselves back into God's word, to see who Jesus is. And I pray, and we're going to pray right now, that you struggle with this, that you struggle with it, and that you start asking folks around here, 
most of us in here would be willing to just talk about who Jesus is, what he has done, and how in our own lives, and how he has shown himself true through his word. You've got pastors, you've got elders, you've got teachers, you've got uh, uh, worship leaders, you've got guys in the back. That's, that's our desire for you. As we honor and glorify Father, we desire to spread the seed of the word out to all of us. Let's pray. Father, I praise you that, that your word is so clear Lord, that it's not a guessing game as to who's in and who's out and, and oh my gosh, are we approaching the proper number? Because uh, I don't know, what if I'm 140,001? Am I outside of that number then? Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for coming to dwell amongst us, to show us who God is and the love of the Father. And Lord, I pray for those of us here this morning that are struggling with this, I pray that they continue to struggle. But that struggle wouldn't just be yeah, passive and, and we just won't go on with life, but they would truly, truly seek you. Open your word. And Lord, for those of us that are in the family that mm, perhaps don't look, sound, and act like you, that you would call us back to you. Please clean us. Forgive us, Father. We do love you. We do love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.